0: Welcome to the Rethink ELA Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Boyd-Waters. During the first five years of my career as an alternatively certified English teacher, I tried implementing the school's programs and doing what my administrators wanted me to do. I couldn't understand why the students often pushed back against the programs, the traditional novels and the punitive discipline. Then, a principal told me to focus on building relationships with my classes, and I found myself at the end of an empty hallway, just me and 25 or more students for most of the day. I had to partner with them in their success or find something else to do with my life. That's when I started looking for ways to build students' strengths. I started with what their interests were and worked towards bridging the gap between where they needed to be in order to succeed in whatever they chose to do. I joined my local National Council of Teachers of English affiliate and started my master's degree, and I also met Dr. Rebecca Maldonado. She is an amazing teacher who knows how to connect students' interests to their work in school, and most importantly is the editor of two books that will help you connect students with the literature through the arts. Her books include Arts Integration and Young Adult Literature, Strategies to Enhance Academic Skills and Student Voice, and also Increasing Visual Literacy and Critical Thinking Skills Through Graphic Novels. And she's working on a third book tentatively titled Connecting Stories Through Art to Create Knowledge and Deepen Understanding. I can't wait to share Dr. Maldonado's insights with you after these messages. Welcome to the Rethink ELA Podcast hosted by English language arts teacher, Michelle Waters. Prepare to receive strategies,
1: products, and expert advice tailored to help teachers build social awareness, student agency and voice in their ELA classrooms.
0: Looking for ideas to help you engage students in reading in your classroom? I've got your back. I am updating the new curated short stories library with on-demand professional development to help you create your own lesson plans using what you know about your students and our resources. The library also includes an entire year of short story resources we have curated just for you. Who needs new textbooks? Not you. With our curated short stories library, you have links to PDF and or Word files of the short stories you need for your students. Even better, no more hunting for videos or audios to engage your students' interests. I have curated these resources for you and included them in an easy-to-access system on the Rethink ELA website. Just log into your account and download the resources you need to your computer, upload them to your school's private course management system, or display them on your classroom interactive board. Not a member yet? Just go to RethinkELA.com slash Curated Library and join us. Welcome back to the Rethink ELA podcast. Again, I'm your host, Michelle Boyd-Waters, and today I have with me Dr. Rebecca Maldonado, and she is going to talk about... Two of the books that she has edited, including Arts Integration and Young Adult Literature, Strategies to Enhance Academic Skills and Student Voice. And then the other book is Increasing Visual Literacy and Critical Thinking Skills Through Graphic Novels. And I understand uh, that you are editing a third book, but before we get into all of that, if you could talk to us a little bit about who you are and how you got here.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca Maldonado, and I graduated from the University of Oklahoma um, in 2021 with my doctorate in Instructional Leadership and Academic Curriculum, and I've been a teacher now for eight years. I'm still a classroom teacher. Right now, I'm in Onslow County in Jacksonville, North Carolina, teaching ninth and eleventh grade English. And so that's a lot of fun to still be able to work with kids and be able to produce books that I know that will help um, classroom teachers.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking in perhaps another episode, you could share your secrets and how it is that you can teach and also edit books at the same time.
1: (laughs) Oh, that would be quite the honor to do that. Awesome. We will talk about that more later.
0: Um, (laughs) But yeah, you were in the program that I'm in now. So once I've finished my PhD, then I will have the same degree that you have. I know that you and I kind of worked together um, a little bit over my master's thesis, which we soon discovered wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. And I had to kind of switch gears and make other things happen. And it all worked out. So thank you for your help, though, and helping me figure that out. Uh, but where did we meet? I know we're part of Oklahoma Council of Teachers of English, and we've gone to NCTE. Uh, maybe through Dr. Hill.
1: I think it was through Dr. Hill at one of the Oklahoma Council of Teachers of English. I think it was back in 2019 because it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, uh, maybe yeah. 2018 that we met. We have I have pandemic fog, yes. and everything <laughs> before the pandemic is kind of a blur. At this point,
0: still. Yeah, I started my master's in 2017, so it was before the pandemic, but after that. So I think we've kind of narrowed it down to like a three-year period. But what that means is we've known each other for a long time, and I've seen your work, and you've kind of been aware of mine, and what you're doing in terms of integrating arts and especially like graphic novels and things, I've always been fascinated by that. And, you know, how do I, how do I integrate this into my classes? And I know that this is something that's super important for students to, uh, for their teachers to be able to integrate, you know, both writing and reading and art. And so I wanted to talk to you and kind of figure out, not only find out sort of the story behind the books that you're editing, but also how can teachers and why should teachers use this in their classrooms?
1: Well, it's a funny story. So I, you know, growing up, I always thought I was going to be a movie producer. And so I've always been into the arts. I've always been into creativity and well, life had other plans for me. And here I am as an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Now, growing up, I looked at reading as a task,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so my mom actually put me into a speed reading class,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how to skim and scan, yep. and so I literally knew how to skim and scan fiction, nonfiction, pull out what I need, and move on with life. Right. It wasn't until I started my master's with Dr. Hill um, at University of Oklahoma that I was introduced to graphic novels and young adult literature and what amazing stories they have. And it really helped me to slow down and actually enjoy reading and enjoy like seeing the pictures and not just take from it what I could and move on with life, as most of our students do right now. But to just sit and be with the book, be present with the book, be present with the stories. So I'm eternally grateful for him to introducing me to young adult literature, because if I was reading young adult literature when I was in high school and even, you know, middle grades, Mm -hmm. I probably would have been more of a reader than I was. Yes. So going from non-reader to a devoted reader... It completely changed my life. And so I want to give that gift to the kids that are reading now and learning to read. And
0: I was just thinking, it sounds like this is kind of the difference between efferent reading and aesthetic reading, With efferent reading being, you know, reading for a specific person, grasp concepts and meanings and what have you, and then move on, like you said, and then aesthetic reading where you're really just enjoying the emotions, the experience of reading
1: absolutely and i think with a- aesthetic reading it can even be done with nonfiction, where you're enjoying like learning about history or an animal or s- how science works right mm-hmm. but we have to be taught how to slow down and actually have a story or a book that interests us to make us want to slow down
0: so my question then you know, having been in a classroom and, you know, working with students and teachers right now through my writing center, how can one slow down and then, of course, incorporate art in the context of a classroom with, you know, all the standards and all the, we have to get through all of this um, going on at the same time? Right. Absolutely. To make the transition
1: from being hyper focused on standard base and skills into moving into more of an aesthetic, we're lifetime learners, we're doing this because we want to learn, we want to be a part of the story. It takes some getting used to, mm-hmm. and I think it takes a mind shift um, that starts with a teacher. Right. So a lot of teachers teach the books that they love, and that's great, right? Right, right. However, our students probably, if they're honest with us, do not love the same books <laughs> that we love. Right. Yeah, Growing exactly. In. So I remember in sixth grade reading the Island of the Blue Dolphins. And when I say reading, I mean, skim scan, get what the answer I needed and move on with life. Yeah. And my teacher, uh, Mr. Walters, was like, oh, Becky, how are you loving the book? And my automatic response to him was, you know, this is the best book ever. This is my favorite book. (laughs) Was it really my favorite book? No. I was just telling him whatever I needed to tell him to make him happy. Right. And make him go away and go alone. Exactly. So, and I think that a lot of our students also do that, right? We have to acknowledge the power structure within a classroom. Yeah. So when you're talking to your students, whether you have a good relationship with them or not, you are still the power, the one that holds the power in the classroom. Yeah. And for many of our students, they have learned throughout their years, especially when they get to high school, just say what the teacher wants you to say, and move on. It's really not important. And so we need to be aware of that and be really thinking about what are our students interested in? What are teenagers interested in? And that starts with one, really listening and getting to know our students. Mm -hmm. But two, we have to be readers of young adult literature, of graphic novels, of books that they might be interested in. Because when we fall in love with a book, then they will fall in love with the book.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I joined Allen and then went to the Allen workshop, which follows NCTE, because they provide books and they provide recommendations. And then you know you have the Allen review and that um, also gives me ways and helps me figure out how to go about teaching young adult literature. Uh, But with all with all of that said, you know, understanding we need the young adult literature and you know here's where we can find young adult literature. What do your books say about, or what can I gain from your books to help me with that process? Well, the first section of each of the
1: books is called a research and rationale Mm
0: -hmm. section.
1: Both chapters in each section are research chapters looking at what does the research say about closing the achievement gap, how arts integration closes the achievement gap. So in the first book, Chapter 1, the title is The Power of the Arts in the English Language Arts Classroom. And K.W. Cohen and S. Rebecca Lee go into the research between arts and SAT scores, music and math, drama and verbal abilities, the research that's already been done on closing the achievement gap through arts integration in Different settings. And so this really provides the confidence that teachers need because sometimes when trying something new, right, you're like, oh my gosh, is this really going to work? Is this really going to help my students? Right. And we start questioning ourselves, oh, but, but I know the other works. And even if it doesn't work, we've tricked ourselves into denial Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's going to work eventually. So, it really gives you the confidence as a teacher to say, okay, here's the research, here's what it says. And then chapter two of the first book is From Stacks to Desks, a history of young adult literature and the case for inclusion. So Christian George Gregory goes through the entire history of young adult literature, why it should be included. He even has a list of the best YA literature throughout the years. So from 1930 all the way um, to present day. And he included a lot of the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. So if you're looking for a place to start reading and you're like, I don't even know, I've never read a young adult literature book. I don't know where to start. His list that he's curated, that's the place to start reading, right? Just to start getting a taste of different amazing young adult books.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm, you got me started scanning through the table of contents um, and I'm looking over here like at chapter seven, the student X, centering student identity and agency via public arts and young adult literature. Can you tell me a little bit about this particular chapter and how a, a teacher might be able to use this in their classroom?
1: So Stephen Goss and Jennifer Dale are experts at arts integration, and young adult literature, and they use the Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo, which is a novel in verse. Mm -hmm. So kids, yeah, students really love this. It's an easy read when you show them that it's a poem and they're short, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a shorter read. They're like, oh, oh, okay, we can get through this, right? It's very encouraging and stuff. One of the aspects of writing that's important to keep in mind is that writers should always have an authentic audience. Yeah. So what Steven and Jennifer do in their chapter is they take that audience from just being at the, the classroom level, like, oh, you're doing this for the teacher, right? Right. And open up the audience to being either at the school, um, they've done stuff like out at Starbucks. To really help promote authentic writing while they're reading. And the Poet X is all about a young girl who Mm -hmm. becomes a, well, she is a poet, but she develops her identity throughout the story and then becomes a poet who actually reads her poems aloud. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens while they're reading about X developing her identity, the students are developing their identity with X as poets.
0: Awesome. So I'm also looking through here. I'm looking at chapter 10. It's called a bleak picture, critical pedagogy of place and finger painting with Sadie. Now what caught my attention was critical pedagogy of place, because that's kind of a concept that I've been studying over the past semester or two. Could you talk to us a little bit about that Particular pedagogy and then how this particular chapter helps teachers integrate it into their classrooms.
1: Absolutely. So, first of all, I just want to start off. I taught this in a graduate level class Mm -hmm. at the University of Oklahoma. And the cover of the book is one of my students who did the activities in this chapter about a different book. And the result was the cover of the book itself.
0: Nice. I was wondering, you know, where that cover came from. So that's awesome. Yeah. So critical pedagogy is really
1: examining place and what ta- what is going on around you in that place. Uh-huh. Um, that could be the culture. It could be the setting. And so Sadie is a script slash prose book. So you have some of it is in script from the radio broadcast and some of it is in prose. Okay. And so it really helps examine where this person was. Well, I don't want to give too much of the book away. Oh my goodness.
0: It's okay. (laughs) Because
1: it's a mystery book. So it examines the place that they're in being more aware of their surroundings And stuff. And so by finger painting and creating pictures of the setting, Mm -hmm. right, it helps the setting come alive for the students and to really help them visualize what it would look like if they were in the book with the character.
0: Okay. And I I really appreciate that, the critical pedagogy of place, because... Places has been so important for a lot of my students. I've taught in a few rural contexts and it's really particularly important for the students that have been in my classrooms and then of course I also see that Dr. Shay Parton is the person who wrote this chapter and she's been a guest on my podcast and talking about rurality and um, kind of how teachers can work with um, rural communities and you know encouraging reading and writing and so encouraging an arts integration as well through finger painting or whatever methodology sounds like it would be absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And it also
1: boosts their pride of where they live. I think sometimes people can be ashamed of whether they're in urban or rural settings. Right. But to actually make a visual picture of where you're living and saying, yes, this is my home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It helps not only solidify the student's identity, but gives them pride on, yes, I'm from rural Oklahoma or Mm -hmm. I'm from, Brooklyn, New York, wherever they're from, you know, it helps develop their pride.
0: Excellent. And so that, you know, helps them with their confidence and enables them to see that they can not just be consumers of content, but also producers of it as well, which will then, of course, help them increase their um, writing abilities and skills and motivation. This is kind of a, a big thing of mine. But in order to get there, in order to get them finger painting and writing and doing all of those things, you really got to find ways to get them engaged in reading first. And I know that I've got several students who, if I were to hand them a 300-page novel, they're going to you know, run screaming from the room if, you know, if they could. But you hand them a graphic novel, and they're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. So can you talk to me about how teachers can integrate graphic novels into their classes?
1: In Chapter 2 of Increasing Visual Literacy and Critical Thinking Skills Through Graphic Novels, Mandy Lusick talks about secondary students in ELA classrooms today need more than what stagnant single modal text can provide. Mm -hmm. In a world that is communicating visually and dynamically, students should be offered the skill needed to accurately receive them as well as produce them. Students should also feel validated in that the skills they already have and types of literacy they interact with outside of school are important by bringing that visual literacy into school. So a lot of our students are doing like really amazing things with art Mm -hmm. and or it could be on social media. They're making TikToks. They're making YouTube shorts, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And how do we bring that into the classroom is the real question.
0: In working with, you know, in the context of my writing center and, you know, in other, you know, contexts as well is starting with the students and seeing what writing or reading literacies they already have and using that as a jumping off point to value who they are and then push them in the direction of doing the more academic literacies that they are going to need in, you know, the, the real world or outside of school, I should say, as part of their careers or their collegiate journeys.
1: And I think that's where this book comes in handy. And even if, let's say you yourself are not very comfortable with the arts, the book takes you step by step on how to do these activities. And so if we're looking at chapter Fostering Independence, Analyzing Author's Purpose in Graphic Novels, which is chapter eight. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really love about this chapter is she lays it out as the student is the artist, right? Mm -hmm. What can we gain if we are all artists? Let's read this book as an artist. Let's just observe how the illustrator uses gutters uses bleeding, uses other different techniques. Line and texture and color. Don't don't worry about the words. Don't worry about the story yet. Yeah. Right? Just look and see what do you observe Mm -hmm. and stuff. So she's got really creative ways in the before reading activity, doing an acrostic poem with the graphic novel vocabulary, that way, they're becoming more identi. That way, they're having an opportunity to learn about the words in a creative way and being producers, right? They're not just writing down the definition of what does this word mean. So one of the examples she has of the acrostic poem for bleed is bleeding images together, layout spinning and swirling, energy dashing across the page, Edges are no more. Drawings cross boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so that really gives a creative way for students to start interacting as writers and as artists before they even get to reading. Right? Exactly. So she, in her activities, they look at what is the norm and figure out, okay, they use a lot of uh, rows and columns They use a lot of light colors here, dark colors there. And then while they're reading, they're just looking for the exceptions to the illustrations, right? To really small chunk. We're not trying to get everything out of this book, but we're just trying to get one small chunk as artists out of
0: the book. Yeah. Okay. And from what I understand in, in the case of both of these books, The techniques that are being written about, that are being discussed, are not limited to just the specific texts that are included in the book. But like teachers, once they figure out how to incorporate the strategies and techniques into their classes, could use them with other books, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And what I like about in Chapter 2 of Increasing Visual Literacy and Critical Thinking Skills Through Graphic Novels, is that Mandy Lusick goes into five different books and talks about how students responded in her classes from reading those books and doing activities in those books. So we have New Kid by Jerry Craft, The Marvels by Brian Selznick, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Persepolis, Chopsticks, and To Kill a Mockingbird, a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. So even if you like... To kill a mockingbird, you could very easily look at the illustrator's normal norms and how they use exceptions to pull the audience's attention, right? These are activities that you could use with any graphic novel. If you're reading, you like to read Beowulf, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of giving them the long poetic version, you could have them read. Gerth heinz beowulf which is the graphic novel version of beowulf yeah and they can look at illustrating triple consciousness yeah okay which is looking at the different layers of what is going into the power struggle within that story mm-hmm And then also, I think if you have any books, like if you want them to read a nonfiction book, kind of like George Taki's They Call Us Enemy, Mm -hmm. right? That's another great graphic novel that even though it's used in chapter five, you can go ahead and implement that into any of the other chapters. One looks at overcoming of otherness, right? And so examining... How where the racial tensions are, which is a huge theme within George Taki's They Call Us Enemy.
0: And so with, with all of that in mind and what you've talked about with both of these books, can you tell us more about the third book that you're working on? And from what I, I understand, the current title is Connecting Stories Through Art to create knowledge and deeper understanding. Um, how will teachers be able to use this in their classrooms? when it come, And when is it coming out? <laughs> it's saying probably come out mid to late 2024. So
1: it's coming out rather soon. And it's a really look at, so the first book gives kind of the basics of arts integration. And, you know, you can kind of play around with it. The second book really goes into visual literacy and graphic novels. This third book, helps students to make connections and each of the activities has two texts that they're talking about and the students have to create connections between the texts. Now, when I say texts, it may not be two young adult literature books. It could be a young adult literature book and a video. It could be a young adult literature book and perhaps like a poem that they're or connecting
0: a to a short story in a video or a short story in a nonfiction article or, you know, something like that as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So any, any connections, because, you know, when students are reading, they should always be looking for connections to self connections to the real world. And the most difficult is making those connections to other texts. And that's usually where my students at least freeze up is they're like, miss, I I don't know, uh, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And so it helps them to think of, first of all, what are other texts? Like texts don't necessarily mean a book per se, but it could be listening to a podcast episode, could be watching a YouTube video. It could even be if you're playing Fortnite, right? Mm -hmm. How does this book connect to what's going on in Fortnite, right? Mm -hmm. Where are those connections? And so that's just a really important skill for our students to have as readers. And this book is going to, again, take you step by step through the process of how do I teach two texts at the same time, right? Because one book is complicated enough as it is, <laughs> then trying to integrate a second book with arts integration is really an awesome trifecta, yeah. but it does take some practice getting used to. So it walks you through step by step, exactly what to do, how to do it. These have been proven strategies that through research, and through trying them out themselves, right? So and I even usually when I'm editing a book, I get all the materials I need. And I do it myself, or I try it on my class to make sure that yes, this is a work. Wait, hold on, stop. If I was a new teacher, this isn't going to be too complicated. How do we simplify it down? Because that's one of the really awesome things about the book, too, is that they are written for new teachers to be able to embrace. Mm-hmm. And it gives veteran teachers the freedom to perhaps tweak it the way they want to tweak it. Maybe they ne- know that they need to teach something else or Perhaps their district says, you have to teach this book. So it's very easy for veteran teachers to say, all right, all right, give me the book, you know, and just pop it into the activities.
0: Yeah. And I think one way that would be very beneficial for the students or a strategy that would be very beneficial for the students and help them kind of help the teacher bridge that gap between what the students are interested in and whatever, you know, book that the teacher is having to teach or, you know feels is important to teach is maybe starting with that other text being something that students are interested in. You mentioned Fortnite. I know there are students who are, you know, minecrafting. So start with something that the students are confident in and the other text being something that the student maybe knows more than the teacher does. And that way the students can go in feeling confident in their understanding and grasp of one of the texts and then the teacher helping them bridge the gap. And then the students helping the teacher bridge the gap between what their text is and the text that the students know, I think would be a really good way to help shore up and build relationships in the classroom over texts.
1: Absolutely. And students love teaching the teacher. Yes. That should be okay in your classroom is, you know, you don't have to be the expert on Fortnite to bring in something about Fortnite. It also helps give more authenticity to what the student is doing because they are going to want to show off their skills and everything that they know about Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox, you know, whatever it might be, how to do a TikTok dance video, which I am not an expert in, Yeah, I've had students try to teach me that. Yeah, it just doesn't. I am not a TikTok dancer. But it really gives them a lot of, again, we go back to pride, Mm self-confidence, agency, right? Yeah. That this is their project. Yes. One thing that we do get into on the third book is how to let students choose that other text
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and how to be confident as a teacher to allow your students to choose the other text.
0: Absolutely. And then when when students have done that, when they realize that they know more about something than you do and you're willing to listen to them and and try to learn or admit, hey, I'm sorry, I have no rhythm. You're the expert at TikTok dances. You go (laughs) write your script and I'm just, you know, I'll be here and do my thing that I'm good at. And showing them how to make those connections also, that just changes the dynamic in the classroom. It goes from us versus them to we're all in this together. Absolutely. You end up with those kids that are, you know, have spent, you know, the semester or the previous year or whatever, disengaged and trying to disrupt. They get excited. You can see the light in their eyes and they're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I I know something. And you know, I, I had the confidence now to, you know, talk about it and write about it and what have you. That is just so amazing and can really change things in your classroom. And, and so with all of that said, what would you say is the most important takeaway from what we've talked about? I think that it's
1: important for teachers like to realize that they don't have to know everything about the subject You might not feel comfortable teaching they call this enemy because you don't know very much about Japanese internment camps, but that's okay. Yeah. We can learn about Japanese internment camps together, guys. Yeah. Let's see what we can learn together. That also changes the classroom dynamic from teacher-led to student-led when you say to them, I don't know, why don't you research that and let the class know what you learned about this particular topic, right? Yes. But that also goes into arts integration too. Sometimes perfectionism, right, Mm -hmm. is why we think we need to know everything about a topic, about a subject before we can teach a book, right? We also think that we might have to be perfect at doing art, right? before we can teach arts integration you know art is all about having fun look at jackson pollock i mean if you can (laughs) sling some paint you can make a million dollars okay (laughs) you know there's a little bit more to it than that but yeah you know you can have a lot of fun you might discover that finger painting wow i'm really good at this right this is my thing okay And you can make some really beautiful stuff. And if it ends up not being quote unquote beautiful, throw the word abstract on it. And it's a beautiful piece of art right there.
0: That's what I tell my students. If somebody questions your artistic ability, just tell them that it was abstract art and you totally meant to do that. (laughs)
1: Right. And one of the things that also prevents students from engaging in text is this perfectionism. Miss, I can't read out loud. Right. I'm not a good reader. Right. I don't know. I've never read a book like this. I am no, I don't know anything about visual literacy. But when the student can see you being relaxed on not being perfect and saying, man, we are just learning together, guys. I have no idea. We're just on this boat together. Let's figure it out. Then they're going to be able to relax. And they're more likely also to engage in reading by seeing you modeling man, I don't know. Let's just figure it out. Let's, you know, if you can't read out loud, that's all right. We're going to figure it out. We'll do it word by word and I'll help you along the way. We're all here to help each
0: other. Yep. And so as teachers, our role is to create kind of a framework for learning, not to take this knowledge that we have and impart it onto the students, but to create that framework where the students learn, but maybe we also learn beside them
1: yeah absolutely i mean learning beside the student is the best way to model they know that when we model something that we already know and we're trying to fake it that we don't know it yeah they're like oh man miss you're being fake right (laughs) and they didn't call you out on that Um, (laughs) hopefully you have a relationship with them that they can call you out on that yes but it's not being
0: rude or disrespectful you we as a teacher have to recognize when they're being honest with us and real with us, and then adjust based on that feedback.
1: Right. Absolutely. And so when we can authentically tell our students, man, I don't know, I am not a good finger painter, <laughs> but we're to try this together and I'm going to put my finger painting picture on display with yours. Mm-hmm. And let's see if anybody can guess which one's the teachers, right? can make it a contest. can make it have fun. You can be on their level that it's okay not to be perfect, that it's okay not to know everything, right? Yeah. We are just on this journey together. We're going to have fun. Learning is fun and move forward from there. And you'll notice that a lot of your kids will start engaging more. They'll start being willing to take more risks, step out of that comfort zone for a lot of the kids the comfort zone is not reading, is disengaged with the text. Mm-hmm. So they really have to take a step out of their comfort zone to engage with that text.
0: And then when you've shifted that comfort zone and that text is in the comfort zone, then that's when you can push them to take another step out. And that's how they grow. And that's how they get to the point where they can do well with reading and they can do well with writing and they have confidence in it. And that's that's just how students, that's how people learn and grow is through enjoying the activities. With all of that said, where can teachers find your books?
1: They are for sale on Amazon or Bookshop and on the Roman and Littlefield websites.
0: Okay. And I'll also have some links in the show notes. So you can go to the website, the rethinkela.com website, where there are the links to the books. And then also, in order to find you if they have any questions or want to get a hold of you. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Michelle. Students need to write on a daily basis to build their writing confidence and stamina. But how do you work this all in with all the other skills and concepts you're required to teach? Rethink ELA has the answer for you. In just five to twenty minutes a day, you can provide narrative, informative, argumentative, and reflective writing practice with student centered daily quick writes. Learn more at RethinkELA.com slash one eight zero. That's RethinkELA.com slash, and get this into the numerals, one eight zero.